Welcome to Decoding the Shopper, a Kantar podcast. Sheena's seen such massive growth that we haven't really seen before. Sustainability isn't necessarily USP anymore. Influencers actually don't hold that big of an influence over consumers at the moment. £88 million of spend has come through TikTok, which is incredible growth. Most data within this podcast is provided by Wellpanel UK and Ireland with some additional sources for a wider perspective. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Behind the Scenes podcast as part of Kantar's Decoding the Shopper series. I'm Scarlett McNichol, your host, and today I'm joined by two of my colleagues in fashion. Hi, I'm Olivia, and I'm a client executive in the fashion team at Worldpanel. Hello, I'm Lara, and I'm also a client executive in the fashion team. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I wanted to get your expertise and and views on um, a report that's recently come out by the Business of Fashion. Now, for people that don't know, the Business of Fashion is a news publisher for the industry, covering key topics within fashion, mergers and acquisitions, as well as hot topics and, and news. They also release an annual report called The State of Fashion. So the 2024 report has just come out. Um, And so I wanted to discuss some of those themes that were mentioned today and and sort of get your your thoughts and opinions on those. And I think one one sort of key theme that stood out to me and that I really want to start with, because I know it's been a really hot topic within within the fashion team here at Kantar as well, is the rise of this sort of third generation of fast fashion retailers. Now, to set the scene, first generation of fast fashion retailers that came out were the likes of Primark and those brick and mortar stores back in the early 2000s. We then saw this sort of second generation come, which was the rise of online pure player fast fashion retailers, the likes of Boohoo and ASOS. However, now we're seeing this third generation, which is, for example, Shein and Timu. Now, Business of Fashion discussed that consumers are getting sort of obsessed with with those retailers. Um, But actually, I would argue that also our clients are are becoming sort of more threatened by them um, as as the months come on and and we're starting to see those shares really grow. Um, And so I guess my question to you is, are we actually seeing that threat within, within the market currently? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say 100%. Sheen has seen such massive growth that we haven't really seen before in other retailers in previous years. I mean, they've grown from 64th place in the online market to fifth in the last five years, which is really, really significant. And what's interesting is, is that Timu are now posing a threat to Sheen. So not only are Sheen posing a threat to other retailers, Timu has kind of come in and are threatening Sheen's place in the market. Uh, so yeah, I think this is really largely to do with the customer action acquisition that they're facing. Uh, Customers that's biggest priority is price are just moving on to Sheen and Timu because they kind of have prices that other competitors, or sorry, they have prices that other retailers can't really compete with. Yeah, I think also that with the rise of Timu coming after Sheen, Timu almost feels like an easier jump for people who are already shopping on Shein, just as they seem a bit more similar. So it feels that maybe Shein has helped the rise of Timu as well. Yeah, that's super interesting. And do you think they're sort of deploying specific strategies in order to target those those new shoppers? I think particularly, as Lara mentioned, price is sort of one of the key, key, key drivers. It's hard to ignore the price and also it's really hard for the other retailers like you were mentioning Scarlett those more the other more traditional fast fashion retailers to compete on price as it's just seems crazy um but another they've really used TikTok super efficiently and 
it's the growth, I think, also has been a lot to do with their social media presence with the use of TikTok and sort of getting young shoppers to post TikTok hauls, which is what they what they do is the have these videos where people will have bought stuff from Shein and show on TikTok what they've bought. And because of the crazy prices, it will be, I've spent £30 and look at what I've bought from Shein. And it's sort of about 10 items and that's loads crazy. of different outfits. So it feels that I suppose that's also show it highlighting the price and also what they can get. And it maybe feels that because someone else that feels like a normal person is showing what they've bought it's a sense of authenticity that it's not just an advert um and actually feels like maybe people think oh I can trust that what I've seen there and that maybe what look what they've bought on Shein actually looks quite good and they've told me that it's good decent quality so I might give that a go yeah and it's really interesting actually that you you mentioned that because actually business of fashion touches on authenticity of influencers and actually how there's sort of this rise and demise of of influencers actually they're not well trusted anymore um and it'd be interesting to know whether we actually see that within our data as in you know are influencers trustworthy um or, or not um, so I think it always comes as a bit of a surprise to retailers and we tell them that influencers actually don't hold that big of an influence over consumers at the moment. Of course, you will have your kind of consumers that really engage with fashion and are actively seeking out, um, you know, that kind of style influence from influencers on Instagram and TikTok. Whereas for the average consumer, their highest source of inspiration is actually friends and family, um, which is, you know, due to the point that you just mentioned of relatability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're obviously spending most of your time with your friends. You are obviously doing the same things as them. You have the same interests and you can relate to them more as people. And as Olivia mentioned earlier, there's a huge sense of social proof with um, the sorry, the recommendations that friends give. Uh, so if, you know, your friends are shopping on the likes of Timu and Sheen, which you mightn't have really trusted previously, it kind of gives that authenticity and reliability to go and shop there, that it's kind of safe to shop there and they have good products. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. So from a from a retailer perspective, what would be your sort of, I guess, key takeaway when it comes to, you know, influencers or, or TikTok, obviously, this sort of rise of user generated content being really powerful for, for brand strategies? What is it that retailers can do to, to sort of harness that? I think kind of as Laura mentioned, sort of being that friends and family are sort of for mass consumer, the most important influence, but there is still influencers can't be ignored and I think somewhere as we mentioned with Shein TikTok really is the platform that it feels like is driving growth um, because people are responding to the authenticity on it and I think that actually brands should be taking advantage of this and we know that in the latest year 88 million pounds of spend has come through TikTok which is incredible growth and that there are currently 1.3 million shoppers on TikTok in the UK so for one, it's just something that they can't really ignore. I think also what's particularly interesting is that actually it's about 60% of spend that has come through TikTok has actually been incremental to the wider market. So it's not just that they've moved from the online website to TikTok, it's actually new spend in the market. So I think brands and retailers, particularly if you want to target those younger shoppers, TikTok is something that needs to be considered and whether that's creating new content on TikTok, sort of getting people to, I don't know, have the hauls in the similar way to Shein. And we know also that about 30% of spend on TikTok is fashion, which is the biggest. So it's the biggest industry. And I think 
retailers need to properly take it seriously as a new revenue stream as well as marketing too. Yeah, I mean, I was speaking to a client only the other day about this in terms of actually there's a product offering for Valentine's Day that's just gone gone viral on TikTok. Um, and they've obviously picked that up internally. Um, and so looking at actually using that TikTok shop as a model to say, look, we need to be sort of really close to these trends that are that are sort of blowing up on on TikTok. And then also offering them the, the products through TikTok shop as well, because it's such an easy sort of call to action. Here, Here's the product and you can buy it straight away um, through those means. So I totally understand that that would be, you know, the next step forward, mm-hmm. um, you know, when those um, sort of viral trends do go viral, that actually it's there ready and waiting and, and that sort of product is available. And is there any sort of, I guess, other retailers or brands that that you've seen on TikTok that are doing that really well or their strategy is really strong? Um, I've definitely noticed over the last couple of years that my Calvin's has kind of become a huge uh, push on social media. So, uh, you know, buyers of Calvin Klein are sharing themselves in Calvin Klein, like underwear or products and using the hashtag my Calvin. So it's really kind of creating and fostering that community. Um, and it's kind of encouraging people to share those moments with other people that are interested in Calvin Klein yeah that's a really interesting one is a different one that I've seen recently is a brand or retailer called Lux Collective and they are a luxury resale platform and one of the owner they actually recently appeared on Dragon's Den but the owner who one of the owners he features a lot on their TikTok and he talks about all of the sort of the bags that they might be selling and he provides history to them on TikTok. He sort of does these real versus fake videos where people have to guess. And it's sort of just, he almost is not overtly selling the product. He's just talking around it and getting Lux Collective out there. And I think it's been a really effective way to sort of, as you mentioned, Lara, generate that, bring that community and together and also sort of educating people in a fun way Um, so I think theirs is particularly strong. Nice and I guess actually touching on sort of sustainability um, it ties really nicely into that and obviously talking about those fast fashion retailers becoming you know such a strong position in the market but we do have to question those sustainability um, sort of challenges that well they're facing and and potentially not meeting but also from an industry perspective as a whole business of fashion also discussed this in terms of um, you know climate changes and actually sort of some of the, the biggest, um, you know, weather problems we faced last year is really starting to have an impact. And it's, it's visibly proving that, that something does need to be done. And so based on that, um, in terms of retailers, obviously fast fashion retailers aren't as um, potentially sustainable as others. Is there anything in our data that sort of proves this point or, um, you know, the, the correlation between actually if you are sustainable as a retailer, you have a better sort of consumer sentiment potentially? I think a key example for this. So we have a survey called Who Cares Who Does, which is a survey that goes out to our panellists and it's essentially on their attitudes of towards sustainability and it asks them a whole range of questions about kind of the sort of question you're mentioning there and I think one yeah so a key example is that actually if people have a positive perception of what a retailer is doing environmentally so if they think yeah that retailer I can trust them 
they're a good retailer for the environment, it's going to increase their spend levels. So for instance, with the like, so an example we have is H&M. And actually for those that had a positive environmental perception of H&M, increased their spend by 13% with H&M. But for those that had a negative perception environmentally for H&M, their spend was 16% less. So it's not only something you do just need to do within a we, there's a, we're in the climate crisis, but actually it was also going to link to benefits and sales and economically too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be quite surprising for people to hear as well, because there's been a lot of talk recently that sustainability isn't necessarily USP anymore. You said it should be a standard. There's no sort of, you know, trying to avoid this anymore. Something needs to be done and, and the industry needs to wake up in that respect. But it's also nice to hear that actually, if you are viewed more sustainably, there are actual benefits attached with that and you can have a better relationship with with those customers as well. And so touching on the idea of, of sort of weather challenges, you mentioned it as well, Liv, that, you know, that there's been sort of huge problems across the world, but specifically in the UK as well. It's been a really strange year in 2023. We had one of the, the warmest years on record, but also one of the wettest um, sort of years on record. Um, and so that's really difficult to, to understand from a retailer perspective, how how consumers are actually changing their, their needs for those demands. Um, and so I guess I would sort of pose the question, Lara, what what do retailers need to do with that? I mean, there's a lot of information there, but specifically around products and actually those demands, those needs for, for shoppers in, in light of those weather changes. Well, I think it's really important to firstly mention that it's near to impossible to actually predict the weather that far in advance. So retailers could be racking their head trying to figure out what weather will, what type of weather will be next autumn and try to, you know, uh, circle their collections around that. So I think you just really need to be flexible and learn how to place that product in a way that consumers um, can relate to at that moment. Uh, so, for example, this autumn, it was incredibly hot for a longer period of time, as you kind of touched on. Um, and naturally, during autumn, a lot of retailers have a lot of stock for autumn wear. So that would include like, you know, jackets, outerwear, um, pieces that consumers wear to uh, be warm. Whereas... It, because it was warm, people weren't really shopping for that weather. Consumers generally just shop for the moment that they're in. So I think the biggest piece of advice is for retailers to place products in the correct way and to market them towards the weather that consumers are facing at that moment. So something that I saw during autumn, which was really clever, was when I was walking past shop windows in Oxford Circus, uh, retailers had paired, you know, Boots would usually be worn in autumn with, you know, summer dresses to show that consumers can be versatile with their clothing. And, you know, you could pair like a cardigan with um, a dress on your website so that consumers know how to kind of shift that styling. Because uh, overall, consumers shop for different occasions. Um, so they want to wear those clothing across weather changes as well. Yeah. And I think if... Um, I sort of I was looking at some analysis we did the other day I mean this was this was way back in 2019 I actually replicated it um for 2023 data um and what was what was shown which I thought is is sort of really poignant to that to that point Lara in terms of when we track sort of weather changes specifically that that rainfall what we saw before was that actually consumers were sort of I guess heading into that uh wetter weather you know say 
two to four weeks in advance and saying, you know, I'm going to actually buy this product before it's even mm. um, started to, to rain and we have, you know, ridiculous downpours for, for days. Now, actually, that consumer sort of behavior has shifted five years on, whereby we're seeing consumers actually buy into those product categories ready for the weather when it's happening. So there's not this pre-purchase happening. It's actually when there's that demand, it's exactly close to or followed by that need. Um, So I think that's really interesting as well for, for retailers, because like you mentioned, Lara, with that product placement, where before, you know, if we're heading into a colder weather, actually shoppers may just say, I'll, I'll buy into the colder winter wear products because we know it's coming. But actually now it's it's very much that only when that weather changes will I buy into that product need, which I thought was was really interesting. Yeah, like, of course, you know, retailers kind of all the contingency plans that they want for, you know, to cover that stock and they can have, you know, a backlog of stock for summer wear if it happens to be warmer in winter. But I think ultimately they'll just kind of lose money doing that. I think they can easily shift the marketing of those products to satisfy those consumers' needs. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if you're not... Um, following that strategy or changing to be more agile, there can be detrimental effects. Because if we look at the Black Friday products that were um, sort of top of the leaderboard by sales this year, it was it was coats and jackets. Now, coats and jackets should be flying off the shelves in, in November time because it's cold. But because we had that sort of warmer weather leading into into autumn, actually all those coats and jackets didn't sell. And so you have this backlog of stock that you then have to discount, which really shouldn't be the case when we're now fully into winter and we should all want to be going out and buying coats and jackets. So that's a that's a really interesting point that, that you've made, Lara. I think I also wonder, Scarlett, the point you made about people change, buying now more for what they're, and Laura, you said it as well, sort of buying for what they're seeing and, you know, we're not buying in advance in the way that we may be used to is, you know, there's an element of cost of living in that people aren't, don't have the money to spend for something that they don't necessarily need. And also, I mean, I hope in terms of also a sustainability point of view, in terms of, again, building on Lara's point of wanting to wear boots with the summer dress, I think people are maybe moving a little bit more away from this is my summer wardrobe, this is my winter wardrobe. And actually people, if you're buying stuff, you want it to look sort of you want to be able to use it throughout the year to just get the most value from the products. So I think, yeah, that probably f- maybe feeds into it a bit as well. Yeah, I mean, I think building on the cost of living point as well, people are definitely looking to be more versatile with their wardrobe and where items across loads of different occasions so if you're purchasing an item that you usually wear you know on a night out or a party you can also wear that you know socializing during the day with your friends or even if it's you know a pair of trousers you could wear them to work and I think we're definitely seeing that with the casualization of workwear as well that people are purchasing items that they can wear you know across different occasions whether they wear it to work and then the next day they wear it out um yeah yeah and and almost coming full circle we started off talking about, um, you know, the, the rise of Shein and Timu being very much sort of price point driven. And, and actually we're seeing that obviously the cost of living will affect that that consumer behavior, sh- you know, shifting their, their money into into the likes of Shein. But it is at the end of the day, ultimately about the um, value for money equation. It depends what your consumers are looking for, of course, in terms of is it price and ultra low price points? Yes, they're going to go to Shein. There's no doubt about that. 
But there will be nuances between audiences that actually that value for money, like you mentioned, is versatility. I want to buy into something maybe a little bit more expensive, but actually have lots of different occasions and needs that will be met when I wear that product. Um, so I think that's that's a really key point to, to make as well. And so closing statements, there's there's a lot of really you know exciting points and, and interesting points from from a retailer perspective to, to dive into there. What would be your sort of closing remark or, or last bit of advice you'd give to retailers as we look forward um, into 2024? Um, I would say that my biggest piece of advice was would be just to know your consumer and know what value means to them. Like, of course, Timu and Sheen, they are a big threat in the market at the moment. There's no point in sugarcoating that. But there are already question marks as to the quality of their items at the moment. So if your consumer is a consumer that's looking to buy quality over, you know, if they're prioritizing quality over price, then you need to market towards that and show that your product has a higher value than those items that are offered at a lower price. So I think that would be my biggest piece of advice. I think mine also massively build is sort of very similar to Lara and builds on that. But it's if if you're not going to be able to compete with them on price, don't try because it's not, you know, it's just, it's not going to be a race to the bottom. And yeah, sort of with Laura, actually people in the cost of living crisis are seeking value through looking for quality. They want to buy a jumper that actually is going to last them a long time. And actually they might pay a little bit more if they know it's got that quality and it is durable. So I think, I think a focus on quality would be particularly good this year as it also aligns really well with sustainability because it's sort of, it's definitely going to be more sustainable if you have something and you wear it a lot and it lasts. So I think quality and durability is super important. Well, thank you so much, girls. There's so much um, expertise there and, and interesting you know, nuggets of information. So, so thank you so much for joining to, uh, me today. Um, and I hope you all have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Scarlett. Thank you for listening to Decoding the Shopper, a Kantar podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes and you can get in touch with us through our website, kantar.com forward slash UKI.